He's handsome and smart. A true blue Jets and Knights fan. A part of Australia's Hollywood royalty. From General Hospital to Occupation Rainfall, NCIS LA to All Saints. Newcastle Live Radio's very own Nova Castrian in Hollywood. It's time to cross to LA to catch up with Zach Garrod. I'm continuing to perpetuate false advertising here on this station. Uh, Zach Garrett is not in LA. <laughs> He's still on the Gold Coast. Good morning. I mean, there's a, there's a nightclub on Cavill Avenue called Hollywood. Well, there is you that, go. You does can, that count? No. If I'm down there? If, you, if you're down there, down there, are you down there? I, I'm, I'm, I can see it from where I'm staying. You know, I, I can see the, the streets because working very hard to clean up the mess out the front. Okay, well, may, <laughs> maybe we could get away with that, maybe. Um, maybe. Now, listen, you have, you've brought Hollywood down, uh, down under. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we yeah. can finally, finally uh, talk about the movie that you're doing up there, which is um, Bring Him to Me, and it's starring yeah. Sam Neill and Rachel Griffiths. It is an incredible, incredible production. Tell us about it now that we can talk about it. Yeah, I know. It's nice to be able to sort of lift the lid off it a bit because it has this, this happened very quickly, as you know, and it kind of went from just being like a good script we read like about a little under two months ago to, you know, we're in our last week of principal photography right now. So it, it happened very, very fast, and it's very much not the norm for, uh, for, for, for films like this. Mm-hmm. this. This is much more the exception than the rule, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, yeah, so Barry Pepper, Sam Neill, Rachel Griffiths, it's like an underworld thriller. Um, it's set in one night about a, 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 a bloke uh, called The Driver who has a real name that's revealed in the movie, played by Barry Pepper, and a young passenger named Jamie Costa. Now, Jamie Costa is a he's an incredible young actor from America um, who, I don't know if anybody remembers in 2020, there was a video of, a, like, a, a sizzle reel of a Robin Williams biopic mm. that they're working on, and Jamie plays Robin in that, and he oh, is wow. I. Identical to him, it, like Jamie's his own man. But it, 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 he, when he does a Robin Williams impression, it's not like Robin Williams doing a character like this is Doubtfire or something like that. It's Robin Williams, and he's astounding. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Mm. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and Barry Pepper, of course, is from Saving Private Ryan and The Green Mile and True Grit, and he won an Emmy Award in 2012 for playing uh, Bobby Kennedy in the miniseries The Kennedys. So uh, Barry Pepper is an extraordinary actor of his own right. And it's about these two gentlemen on um, heading out into the night, and the driver has to deliver the passenger uh, to his potential demise. And as the evening unfolds, events occur that makes the driver consider whether this is worth it or not. So it's a very tense, yeah. quite emotional and dark movie. It's very, it's ultimately about uh, very bad. It's ultimately about poor father-son relationships. That's really what the crux of this is about, and a lot of good. Underworld crime films are, 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 are rooted in some sort of, in, in, in a sense of humanity or a sense mm-hmm. of heart. I mean, even The Godfather is all about family. Um, this is very much about broken relationships between fathers and sons, and sometimes that, that can spill over into. Um, so it's it's very complex, and, and my character has a very complex relationship with his father, played by Sam Neill. So it's uh, it's a, quite a rich film, um, and I'm it's, it's set in Middle America, set in sort of Missouri, Georgia uh, area, and very you know sort of subtropical like the Gold Coast. Funnily enough, <laughs> funny enough, <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, so we're shooting essentially Middle America here on the Gold Coast uh, to to bring it to life. So it's been quite an extraordinary experience just from an acting point of view with the story, but also from a, a co-producing point of view, which is a, another role I have on this.
And you actually have to turn it around pretty damn quickly, don't you? Because it's uh, it's going to Berlin in February. Yeah, yeah, wow. we're sure after EMF. Yeah, we're sure after EMF in February. Um, I mean, n- nowadays with digital cinematography, it, it, it moves really fast. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, when you shot something on film, the, the, the cameras would be full, they'd check the gate, they'd move on, and the, the film would go off to be developed and then sent to the editing suite. And that could sometimes be uh, you know a day to a couple of days of process. Now we literally finish on set with a, with a microchip in the camera mm-hmm. that then goes to a, a, a data wrangler who just plugs it into her computer, and in an hour or so, the footage is rendered and ready to go to the to the editing suite. Wow. So you, you can move really fast nowadays. And given mm. that this film is not the effects heavy like a movie like Rainfall was, it's quite easy to assemble it pretty quickly. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it, it will be a fast turnaround. But that's pretty common nowadays. Yeah, it really is, especially with digital filming. It, as you say, yeah. you know, it, it's completely different now. So, what's your role? Like we uh, we know that you're acting in it, but uh, you're yeah. also co-producing. So, what does that involve? Uh, essentially, I worked. A, I, don't know, I guess it covers. I wear many hats, as any producer does. Uh, I I started working with the director Luke Spark on this uh, when, this, when he had, had the script uh, from an English writer called Tom Evans, and I read the script. With Luke gave my opinions and sort of helped suggest the cast. You know who should we go to? And we were very lucky to get some of my suggestions. We're lucky to get Sam. We were great to get Rachel. Um, and uh, sort of just help with the budget, make sure things stay on budget, make sure things stay on schedule, and essentially just work with the director to help make the movie that he needs to make, while also making sure that it is a practical venture. Um, you know, there's a great example. We have a big scene coming up this week that we have to decide on a location on today. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be a difference between shooting under a bridge up in Brisbane or shooting under a bridge on the Gold Coast. You've got to weigh up the pros and cons of that. Yeah. So things move very, very quickly in this industry. And sort of like you're sort of plugging leaks and bailing out <laughs> at the same time. Um, it can be incredibly complex. I mean, if anybody wants to see, wants to have a really great experience of what it's like to be as a producer, there's two projects you should watch. One is uh, the, the Offer, which is the new Paramount Plus series about the making of The Godfather, and it's written by Al Ruddy, who produced The Godfather, and it's an incredible insight into what it's like to produce a film. The other thing is there's a movie called Lost in La Mancha, which is a bit of a tragedy, actually. It's a documentary about Terry Gilliam trying to make the Don Quixote story, and it is an absolute disaster. The documentary was far more successful than the film. It took him <laughs> 10 years to get it made. But yes, if you want to see the stress yeah. of what it can be like, by all means, check that out. So it's um, it, it's a, it's an immersive role. Mm. You're sort of always on it. And I, I was lucky to have all of my acting scenes with Barry and Sam shot out at the start of the shoot. So I shot all my stuff out in the first week. And now I'm kind of just jumping around, just essentially helping the, the film complete. Have you? Uh, you still haven't got an Australian distributor yet for it, though, have you? Are you still looking at that? No, we do. We you do. do. We'll have, uh, yeah, they, they will announce that uh, probably at the start of next year. But oh, uh, yes, yeah, it'll, it'll be released in cinemas across Australia and New Zealand. Oh, that's great news. What's it like working with Sam Neill? I mean, he is <laughs> he is an icon of of the industry. You know, not only here in Australia but yeah. worldwide. I mean, you know, he's he's been there and done it, and uh, you know, he's he's living back in New Zealand. He's between New Zealand and Australia at the moment. What's it like working with him? He's uh, he's a delightful person. He's a very cheeky, very funny, very dry, very passionate, but he's exceptionally modest. Like, he doesn't really talk about his own experiences. And that. Like, he'll talk a little bit about Jurassic Park, and he'll talk a little bit about all these other incredible films that he's done. But he talks about it in the context of working with other actors. He doesn't really talk about his own sort of work on it. But um, he, is, he is funny. He is so dry. 
And he, the first time I met him, because uh, we have a mutual acting friend in common, I did a TV show many years ago with a very, very close friend of his. And uh, I was chatting to him when I first met him about that. And I can't repeat on air what he said to me. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was very, very funny, very dry, very Australian. So he has a passion for the art, which I love, but he's so experienced. And yeah. Barry and him, uh, it's a conversation for another day, Barry and him have very different techniques when approaching their work. Mm. Sam is very old school, Australian, British. He's just on and then he's off. Wow. He was telling us stories about when he did a documentary about Cook in the Pacific. He was telling us a story about a whale orgy he witnessed off South Africa. Um, and there's something quite perplexing about <laughs> this lovely older man telling you an experience like that. And then they call action and we go straight into this very intense scene. Wow. And then we go cut and he's going, he goes, yes, as I was saying, when the southern right whale <gasps> mass off Cape Town, he's like, okay, Sam, that's great. Wow. But he's, um, he's funny, he's sharp, he, he's a beautiful yeah. man. I was, I was really, I really enjoyed working with him. And of course, um, you know, for anyone who's who's our age, and I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a decade or so younger than you, uh, older than you, I should say. Younger, yeah, younger, yeah, yeah, younger, 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 yeah. Younger, yeah. Um, Muriel's wedding obviously was was a, a big one, um, you know, for us. But uh, you know, what's Rachel Griffiths like to work with? She's been amazing, actually. She's got all of her big scenes this week. Uh, I, I I can't really say much more because she's currently undergoing a, a, a change for the character. But she's been messaging the director some very, very funny stuff. Like, she's really, really into this. Because the, the, the show, because Sam and Rachel play very distinctive characters. And they both wanted to play them because they're so against their type. Sam plays quite a malicious, manipulative, violent, scary man. And Rachel is, is, is this, uh, sort of, she's this omnipotent force in it. And then the final act of the movie, she appears as this sort of uh, threatening um suppressive, scary person. So it's pretty cool. And Barry's sort of, in between Barry's this kind of morally ambiguous guy who's trying to do something for himself. So seeing these three actors approach, you know, very successful actors, mind you, very impressive actors, approach their work um, in very different ways is very, very cool. And Rachel in particular, I can't wait to, to see on set on Friday. Oh, it sounds amazing. Just yes. listening to to the whole story about it, it uh, yeah, it really uh, really sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Congratulations um, to uh, to obviously to yourself and uh, and also to uh, to Luke who uh, Luke Spark who is obviously a yeah. Novacastrian as well. We yeah. love yeah and uh, yeah, it's great. Now, uh, okay, we've we've talked about that one. Now I'm yeah. going to put you on on the the point. Now I'm going to ask you where are we up to with rainfall. Oh, that's probably going to be middle of next year. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll get through this one first. <laughs> now, come on! I want the next. I want the next rainfall. I want to know. I, know, I, know. I want to know what happened. You left it. They were up on a bloody, you know, I alien know. spaceship. Yeah, that's it's the biggest cliffhanger. Well, cliffhanger is it's, it's, it's terrifying. You, I know. You can't just leave it there, Zach. You no, can't. No, that, that would be rude. It'd be terribly rude of us to, to leave it without resolution. And I mean, just for ourselves, it'd be yeah. nice to close it out. It would be so, nice. Um, it would so, be yeah, nice. We're, we're, we're going to get through the hardcore human drama of this okay. one, and then uh, we'll, we'll probably pick up with the aliens left okay. next year. Okay, that's that's good. We we don't want to confuse the two. We we don't want to yeah. confuse the two. Exactly. Yeah. Now uh, let's get on to other things. Now uh, the uh, as we know this morning, the A League uh, have announced that uh, they've entered into a partnership with Destination New South Wales, and for the next three years, the uh, the grand final is going to be held in Sydney. Now this is very very different to how it normally runs. Normally. Whoever is uh, is the winner takes home the grand takes the grand final as as we know. If you finish yeah. high, highest on the ladder, you you get the home grand final. We've been you know we experienced that here. Um, what do you think about this? It goes against everything that 
as football fans, it's how we do it. Yeah, completely. And anybody who was in Newcastle in 2018, I was, I was very fortunate to be there at that stage, mm-hmm. um, and it will know that the energy and the fight, the just the vibe that went around the place around this sport was extraordinary and that's one of the greatest virtues that the A-League has is anybody can host a grand final now I know in 2008 we had this issue when Central Coast and Newcastle uh, played in the 08 grand final Yeah, to the Sydney Football Stadium. Mm. And I remember at that stage, actually, I, I did a box pop with the World Game when I was at the, at the stadium, at, at the Hunter Stadium back then. And uh, they asked me about it, and I think at that stage they said that a stadium with minimum 35,000 or 4,000 seat capacity could only host the grand mm. final, which discounted Adelaide, uh, Newcastle, Central Coast, and I think even Perth at that stage. So, you know, you eliminate four of your, your major markets. It's just silly with that decision. Now, this one I think is worse because the A-League has prided itself on gifting the grand final to a team that has worked hard over the year to deserve it. it it's, it's a reward of, of a successful season. Yeah. And if you want to grow the game, if you want to have a real experience, do that. Absolutely do it. I think they've really, really shot themselves in the foot with this one um, because that. One of the biggest problems, especially with the expansion of the league, was everybody was saying it's Sydney-centric, Sydney and Melbourne-centric. You know, we got places like Wollongong, Canberra, Tasmania, all crying out for an A-League team, or at least the market there for an A-League team. Um, but no, they expanded to the west of Sydney and to the west of Melbourne. Uh, and, and this, I think, just further reinforces that. Now, the, the way to sort of contextualise this in, in our conversation today is Major League Soccer in the U.S., has always given the home grand final to the highest finishing team. So this year, LAFC hosted um, hosted Philadelphia in Los Angeles. And that's, again, part of their marketing. It's part of the brand. It's part of the culture. Is if your team wins, you get to host the grand final. Like If your team finishes highest, you host the grand yeah. final. And MLS understands this because they're trying to grow the league. Austin FC hosted the, the grand... Sorry, not Austin. Um, I'm sorry. sorry uh, Atlanta. United hosted the grand final, I think, two or three years ago. And Atlanta was a very new team at that stage. And they've just grown exponentially ever since in a, in a place in a city like Atlanta, which has you know, uh, a huge baseball team and a huge uh, NFL team as well, not to mention college football mm. with Georgia. But they managed to cut through that because they said, you guys get to host it, come and have the experience. And I think they had 86,000 from memory to the Atlanta United grand final in the MLS a few years ago. So as far as growing the... the, the if you have Wellington and Perth playing in a grand yeah. final in Sydney, how is that appealing to fans? And I noticed that the, I think it was Danny Townsend, the mm. CEO, came out today and said, oh, this is about um, that growing tradition, starting tradition. And he compared it to Wembley. You can't compare it to Wembley. Mm. Wembley's been there for, you know, what, 150 years mm. or something, 140 years. Dan's been going to Wembley for that long. Sydney is not the centre of football, as we I think a lot of football historians know the Hunter Valley is really with Minmai. So you can't just say Sydney is like you can't make a tradition like that. Rugby league, you can make an argument for it. AFL, do you really think AFL is ever going to leave the NFC? Never, never. (laughs) Of course not. But football with A League, you have the potential of giving a grand final to Perth or Adelaide or Brisbane or Wellington and growing the game on the back of it, just like Major League Soccer have done. I just think it's quite arrogant, you know. I mean, some of the comments, uh, you know, for those away fans who are unable to travel, we will work with their club and our broadcast partner to deliver a fantastic experience in their home city. Great. Thanks for that, mate. Could you imagine? It it makes... 
I can remember, well, you, you're the same. Yeah, I can remember the 97 and the 01 Rugby League Grand Finals, the, the teams coming home. They were, you know, an hour away, two hours away, they came home. The same with, with the, the Jets when they when they won their first premiership. Yeah. You know, like, I can remember, they're an hour, two hours away. Could you imagine if you're Perth and you've won that Grand Final? You've got to wait three days to get home. Of course, you, absolutely you do. And then you've got accommodation costs on top, like, like mm. if you came from Wellington or anywhere like that. Even Adelaide is, is expensive nowadays, especially currently. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's quite condescending to just assume that, oh, we can just make this work for the fans. No, but part of appealing to the fans is showing them that your team can host the deciding mm. match of the season. And that's what Major League Soccer have done. And they've and, done and it I mean, well. They've done it well. I mean, for goodness sakes, if you finish top of the table in the MLS, I think it's overall between Western and Eastern Conference, you win the Supporters' Shield. Mm. They call it the Supporters' Shield because it's about, you know, the team that finishes the top still has a chance to host their grand final in front of their fans. Not like the NFL where they sell the, grand, they sell the, the well, you know, years in advance. Mm. Um, but even that, that's a whole different kettle of fish. This is taking one of the great virtues of A-League, which is connecting to grassroots football, connecting to a hometown, connecting to a home region, and completely throwing it to the wind. I, I'm just stunned. I just don't understand it. I, I yeah. yeah. don't know who the marketing genius was that came up with that, but, uh, yeah, I think you need to go back to the drawing board, guys, and uh, it, it will, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll, we will see what it, what it, you know, and, again, it, it's being held at, at Sydney FC's home ground. Yeah. Where's the fairness in that? Look, if they had a Sydney FC Western Sydney Grand Final, it would be absolutely incredible without question. Mm. But if you have Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City, mm. I mean, why would you take that out of Melbourne? Why would you do that? Likewise, mm. if you had Newcastle, what would it be to have it in Gosford? Mm. Oh. I do understand having a neutral venue in Sydney. Mm. I that. Um, you know, for, for those two teams. But I still think that, you know, anyone who was there in 2018 knows that the experience leading up to that grand final was extraordinary. It was. I, I just think it's very short-sighted. Now, we've got uh, some interesting moves by uh, by one of the Democrats over in the US. Explain what's going on here to me, because this is really fascinating. Yeah, last when we talked last week, uh, Raphael Warnock was going up against... Um, uh, oh, goodness, I forgot his name. <laughs> the Republican contender who was just terrible. I forgot his name. Oh, that's terrible. He's been, he's no, been, that's he's, not terrible. Yeah, a uh, Walker. Well, a uh, Walker was his name. Yes. Uh, oh, we're not going up against um, the Republican who's like, oh, it's, it's terrible because he's very, very, he's just, he's just mental. He's just absolutely insane. Yeah, completely. So let's not give yeah. him any, any more airtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So Raphael Warnock won the runoff. Now, this is a direct result of the November election when neither of them managed to um, to secure fifty percent. Raphael Warnock, Warnock won by about two to three. Very interesting. Red counties in Georgia that voted uh, voted for Brian Kemp, but then um, the governor, and they voted for the Republican nominee uh, pretty strongly in, in the November election. But in this one, they voted for Warnock. So it was very, very interesting. I mean, but it was quite extraordinary that someone like Russell Warnock, who is a, a, a pastor at Martin Luther King's church, actually has to contend with anybody like the opponent that he came up against. But anyway, I digress. The result of that election meant that the Democrats had a clear majority in the Senate, 
Now, Kristen Sinema is a senator from Arizona. Now, you may be familiar with her and a guy called Joe Manchin, who is from Virginia, who were real spanners in the works with the Biden administration, particularly when it came down to the um, to uh, uh, to the, the Inflation Reduction Act and also the Build Back Better plan, things like that, because it was social welfare. There was a lot of spanners in the works there with that from Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, and, and uh, Joe Manchin in particular for climate change. Now, Kristen Sinema has since resigned as a member of the Democratic uh, Party. She He's thrown it in said, I said, I'm out, I'm done, thank you very much, he's going to run as an independent. Which is a pretty shonky thing to do. So what's essentially, what it's shown is that she wanted to be there to hold the balance of power. Now, the Democrats no longer need her, she's superfluous. They've got the majority with with Kamala Harris. Um, So they don't need her, so she's just bailing completely. So she was quite a cantankerous and adversarial person within the party and did not do, basically did not stand up for anything that was, that the United States needed. Things like better social welfare and of course looking forward, looking ahead to climate change. She was quite, she was quite, uh, quite vociferous in her opposition to that. Um, so there's a lot of eyes being rolled when she's bailed now. So she, it's essentially an extremely selfish thing to do mm-hmm. is, what, is what she's done. But on the flip side of that, Joe Biden has come out of these, these midterms. Now, I know we talked about this going back, ooh, you know, four weeks now when the midterms were first held. Now, the, 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 the election's going to be certified. California's finished counting its votes. We're usually the last state to do it, one of the big, biggest population centres, of course. Um, and it's, it's good to go. And Biden's going to come out of this gaining a seat in the Senate. He will, he's gained a seat. He, the Biden it's administration... It, no, it, it is. It, it's just quite extraordinary. This goes back as far as, I think, the 40s, I believe, was the last time there was an incumbent uh, administration that actually came out in a better position than when they went in. Now, the Republicans are in a bit of strife. Kevin McCarthy wants to be Speaker of the House. He's being challenged from within the party as well. There's a lot of pushing and shoving and, and um, jostling right now, particularly with the Trump sympathists and the Trump sycophants against people who are sort of, you know, starting to really understand the reality that they've backed, the, the reality of the corner they've backed themselves into. So um, what Kristen Sinema has done, I think, hopefully is the last vestige of this sort of hostage negotiation that they had in the hostile negotiation that they had in the Senate um, over very important things that the United States needs. And when you look at the midterms as well, look at across all the propositions that were put forward, people, like five states voted in favour of, of ratifying and securing abortion rights. You had other states who voted against... Um, who, who voted sorry, in favour of lesser penalties for marijuana possession and things like that. States voted in favour of increasing minimum wage. So the states themselves made some quite progressive decisions that people like Kristen Senator and Joe Manchin, Democratic members, um, voted against. So some ways it's going to lessen the headache that the Biden admin have had, and other ways it's sort of a really frustrating situation that they're going to have to confront, given that one of their own senators, who won a state which is, you know becoming a bit of a swing state now, Arizona, um, has completely turned their back on them, you know, for rather selfish reasons. It's quite bizarre. Well, listen, yeah. mate, you have a uh, you have a lovely rest of the week. This is the last time we'll speak for uh, for 2022 because uh, we're it. That's it for the week. So yeah. uh, so you stay safe up there. I can't wait to uh, to catch up with you. When are you, when are you back down home? We, we, we wrap I, the 17th as of now, which is Friday night. We go back to the night shoots this week up at uh, Ipswich, and then I'm hopefully going to be back in Newcastle on Sunday for a much-needed Christmas beer and a Christmas break. So we're looking forward to it. I've actually, I'm, I'm heading off to work in about 30, 35 minutes. I've got to be um, on set uh, at 11.30. So, um, 
Yeah, so it, it's Life's been tough. a busy time. <laughs> I'm currently standing here looking at Service Paradise and the, 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 the turquoise water <sighs> in front of me, knowing that I'm going to spend the next 12 hours pretty much just, in <laughs> just making sure that a movie runs correctly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, look, you stay safe. Um, give us a buzz when you get home and uh, you and I will catch up for a uh, for a beer somewhere around the traps and uh, just stay safe. Thanks so much for, uh, for being a part of the Newcastle Live family this year. I've really appreciated it. You stay safe. Best of luck with the rest of filming, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Tracy. Merry Christmas. Always a pleasure to chat, and uh, have a great holiday season, everybody. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. That is Zach Garrett joining us live from the Gold Coast. And, yes, that's why it's, of course, an hour behind. So he needs to – yeah, it's quarter to 12 here. It's quarter to 11 up there. Life's life's a bit slower up there on the Gold Coast, isn't it? You're with Tracy Mack on Newcastle Live. Newcastle in the morning covers the big stories that matter the most to you. The local issues often neglected. Tracy Mack's plain talking, no nonsense approach will get your morning off right. Talking news, sport, entertainment, music, lifestyle and more. Covering what you need to know and even some of the stuff you didn't. It's Tracy Mack with Newcastle in the morning. Weekdays from 9 to midday, only on Newcastle Live.